Today's reading is from Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Kirsten and our band. You may be seated, church. <clears throat> and if you haven't already, please meet me in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Or you should have it there in your worship uh, books as well, if you prefer. My name is Jason. I serve as one of the elders here at Church in the Square. It's good always to open up uh, this text, especially to this sermon, which has been really shaping, informative, helpful. I trust uh, for you uh, as it's been for me personally. Uh, Jesus says don't be anxious three times in this text. So his big idea is real clear. Um, because I think he understands that anxiety haunts all of us. That in the first century there in Jerusalem, in uh, that Asia Minor place where all of this begins to take shape, that anxiety is all around us, even here uh, in this city. We fear and worry. We think about tomorrow, even though we have no capacity, capability, responsibility, even to take care of what's going on tomorrow today, and yet we just turn those things over in our heads. Uh, we get preoccupied with what people think about us all the time. Um, I mean, Instagram is really helpful in reminding me there are people I forgot about whose opinion I was worried um, <laughs> about. And so there's like new things to be anxious about just by opening up the right app at the right time. And you go, oh, wow, well, they have more than me. So there's a new thing for me to worry about that I, that I don't have. Uh, we're overwhelmed, are we not? Like even right now, maybe it looks like you're taking sermon notes, but you're really making a list of what you've got to get done this week, right? Uh, of all the things that are around the corner that you have to make sure that you're uh, on top of. Uh, we wonder if we'll have what we need or what we want. And sometimes it's not even really about money thing. It might be about whether or not we'll have access to it, whether if we have all the resources that we want, if we'll be able to have a family that has peace, if we'll be able to have a relationship that comes back together that has been broken. Um, or as Jesus puts it in our most basic needs, he says we get really anxious about what we drink, about what we eat, and about what we wear. 
about what we drink, about what we eat, what we wear. And Jesus, I love, I love him, um, <laughs> which may not be a surprise to you, but I, <laughs> I love that he addresses some of the most human things in the most human of ways. Um, he's not like this spiritual guru that you're just like wondering, what in the world are you talking about? And I just kind of have to act like, yeah, we all think what you said is really dope and mysterious and we're just going to... He addresses real life. He simply commands his listeners, remember they gather on this hillside as disciples, and he says, do not be anxious. Do not be... In other words, I know you are, and do not be anxious. In fact, again, he says it three times. And, and yet, at the same time, isn't this commandment really unhelpful? Isn't this command really unhelpful? If it were only that easy for him to say, do not be anxious, and you're like, oh, okay, and then anxiety is just gone, right? Oh, you said it three times? That feels like a magic Trinitarian number, so it certainly is going to be gone. But there's more of a wrestling that takes place with that. So if only his command would do that. And I think, though, Jesus, Jesus knows us. He knows us really, really well. He was there the day that hum- the human race was formed. He spoke it into existence as the word of God. He to meet and transform the heart. He gets that. That's why he came to earth, not to deliver a message, but to be the message himself. This is what John 1.14 tells us, that God loves you so much, he didn't just send you a message, he sent you his son as the word made flesh. In other words, like a message in real space, real time, as a human being. Are you with me? That this is how much he knows you and I. He knows that a command will not transform you, but there's something incredibly powerful about the incarnate word. And so, as he continues to teach his disciples through the sermon, I think he invites us to consider that anxious heart, to consider what's going on beneath the surface. He understands not only why we're anxious, but he comforts us in our anxiety. And then he also has a remedy for us. So, he acknowledges it, and then he begins to bring us comfort, and then he points out this lasting remedy that he has for us in anxiety. Wouldn't that be wonderful? If that you could learn to not just simply trade one anxiety for the next, right? As I've learned as a parent, all it is is trading out a new set of anxieties for another whenever they hit a new milestone, right? I got an email just a couple of weeks ago, and the heading said, Welcome to Middle School. I almost threw my iPad across the room. I said, That, get behind me, Satan. Do not use that language with my daughter, right? (laughs) I'm not ready for that. There's a whole new crop of anxieties. I thought I just got out of from elementary school, and here come a fresh set of ones from middle school, right? See, through his word, I think Jesus has so much more to simply say to us. I think he has a presence to give us, to be with us in the midst of that anxiety. So that's what I'd like to talk about today. I want to talk about anxiety. I want to talk about what it is. I want to talk about how Jesus meets us in the middle of it. So here's how we'll organize our time. Uh, We'll first look at the reason for anxiety, then we'll look at the comfort in anxiety, and then finally the remedy for anxiety. So we'll look at the reason, we'll look at the comfort, and then we'll look at the remedy. Let's ask for God's help. Father, um, I already feel as though, along with my sisters and brothers, I'm sort of caught, um, seen, loved, but also uncomfortable because uh, anxiety runs rampant in my soul, my heart, my mind. I need no aid in this within myself, within my own spirit. I find reasons to doubt and to worry and to fear and to be anxious. And I imagine that my brothers and sisters get it too. And so I pray by your spirit what you are so kind and gracious to do. Uh, We pray, Father, that you would meet us in that anxiety this morning as your word never returns void. Would you meet us in that anxiety and even as we sit and stand and gather as a people, would you heal us? 
Would you transform our worried hearts? Would you give peace to our anxious souls? Would you bring calm to our hurried bodies so that we would be a people that truly know the flourishing, the joy, and the shalom that you provide through your Son and by your Spirit? So, Father, be with us as we open your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll notice in verse 25, Jesus actually begins with a transition. That transition word is therefore. He says, therefore, I tell you, verse 25 again, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? He says, therefore. Therefore tells us that Jesus is shifting his thought a bit. He's moving from something to something else. And yet he is, he's basing what he is about to say in what he has just said. And so we do well to ask, what's he just said? Well, sort of by way of reminder, he warned his disciples in the previous passage, in the previous pericope or the previous point, about something called mammon, a force, a false god that divides our souls. If you move your eyes back one verse to verse 24, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Or that word money there in the English Standard Version and likely in the NIV is mammon. It's this untranslated uh, Greek word, or, or rather Aramaic word that has been transliterated into Greek. And if you remember it last week, mammon is this, this false god that manifests through worldly ambition, through worldly power, through money and fame and our stuff. And so Jesus tells us that we shouldn't love or serve the things of this world. Why? Well, his answer gets, certainly he covers it in the previous passage, but I think it gets even clearer now from verse 25 on. Here's why we should not love and serve money, because mammon makes you anxious. Mammon makes you anxious. Now, of course, not all anxiety is the same. And I think it's really important that we understand this. See, mammon makes you anxious, but not all anxiety is caused by mammon. Not all anxiety is caused by money and our stuff and worldly ambition and the things of this world. See, no doubt, just like Jesus' first followers, many of us need care with our anxiousness, our anxiety, well beyond some biblical teaching or a 30, 45-minute message, right, or prayer or a spiritual formation practice. We need care beyond that from professionals who understand what's going on in our hearts and in our minds and in our bodies so that we can get an upper hand in our particular anxieties. But Jesus knowing this is actually through this sermon providing a different kind of framework. He's providing a framework for understanding the common ways that human, being, human beings have disordered relationships with their stuff, with this world, with the things of this world. And so Jesus is saying that mammon makes you really anxious. And so if you're feeling anxious, a great place to go and to consider and to, to ask is, what's my relationship like with stuff right now, with things, with mammon, with money? This, of course, is deeply ironic. Why? Because mammon promises the exact opposite, always. Mammon never says, more money will make you more anxious, and you're like, dope, I'm going to go get more money because I'd love to be a little bit more anxious. It promises the opposite, right? Mammon promises peace. It promises contentment. In fact, think about why you moved to the city, or think about if you were born in this city, why you haven't left, or maybe why you left for a little bit, but you came back to Chicago. The city likely made you a promise, made you a promise. It promises more and better. It promises the good life. 
We came because of work, opportunities, family, culture, architecture, drinks, food, fashion, some of the best in the world. I have been on vacation and wished I could just go to Longman and Eagle. <laughs> Truly, real talk. I wish I could just come back to one of my favorite restaurants in my neighborhood. Why? Because this is why we've come here. We've come here because there's so many wonderful people and wonderful things. We're we're promised that there's more in the city that will bring you joy and happiness and fulfillment. And yet, many of us tell this story. The longer we've been here, perhaps, we realize that what promised to bring us peace actually is now the very thing that's making us really nervous, really worried, really fearful, really anxious, right? The job that you thought would finally bring everything together and give you some semblance of respect now keeps you up at night. Right, is the very thing that now causes you anxiety. The money that you thought was finally going to take you to that next level of comfort, that next level of security, or even provide you freedom so you could go vacation everywhere that you want. Now, that money doesn't ever seem to be enough to get you exactly what you want, to give you that next high. The spouse, the family that you found and made in the city now faces the uncertainty of an educational environment that is incredibly stressful to navigate. The drinks, the food, right? That, whatever you daydream about, wherever else you daydream about going, that's where the good life is, right? What's it doing? It's making you a promise. It's making you a promise. You see, the life you thought would bring you peace is the very life that causes anxiety. This is one of the complexities about doing life in a city. One of the complexities that we have when we come here and when we stay here. And now what's really interesting is I, I've experienced this, perhaps you have, as soon as that just doesn't feel like it's doing it anymore, another city with literally the exact same kinds of promises, just shaped a little bit differently, makes the same promise. Here's where everything will come together. Another spouse, another job, another school, another bracket, another, another house. Mammon's promise seems fresh and new and different, but it's not. It's not. It's the same thing. This is what Jesus is addressing. See, this is the reason for our anxiety. Mammon makes you anxious by design. By design. And so what does Jesus say? What does our Lord say? Well, he commands us, don't be anxious. But he does so through a series of illustrations and rhetorical questions that draw something out underneath the service, surface. See, Jesus explains we're anxious because our love for mammon particularly makes us forget four things makes us forget four things. The first thing that we forget is our life. Notice what Jesus says, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore, he says, I tell you, do not be anxious about what? Your life. Your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. See, when we get preoccupied with mammon, we belittle our life into simply being a physical experience into simply being something that is visible and tactile. Even the most dedicated of atheists knows that life is beyond the material world. And yet all of us, no matter what we think, no matter what our faith is, meeting our basic needs becomes a very powerful preoccupation, doesn't it? We all become enamored with stuff, with things. Paying rent, inflation, climbing the ladder. It's not that we shouldn't think about these things at all. Jesus already told us, what, pray for your daily bread. That's a good thing to pray for. Rather, we should remember, though, that life is bigger. It's more beautiful than meeting our physical and visible needs. 
Life is better than simply satisfying the next fleshly craving, or as that fleshly craving gets more extreme, to rise to the task. See, we're anxious because we forget our life. We forget what life is all about. Secondly, Jesus says that we forget our value. Look at verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. Jesus says, neither, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, church in the square, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? See, through an illustration about the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, Jesus is exposing how worry overshadows your worth. Worry overshadows your worth. Birds don't harvest their own crops, yet they have all the nourishment they need. Flowers don't shop. They, they don't make their own clothes, Jesus says, but they are adorned with this kind of unspeakable beauty. Notice Jesus asks rhetorically, are you not more valuable than the birds who do not bear the divine image? And if God clothes plants, which are temporary, which are here one minute and gone the next, unlike you who are eternal, isn't he going to take care of you? Isn't he going to clothe you? You see, he's taking something smaller, using a how much more oratory device, which is called an a fortiori argument. He's taking something small, and he's saying how much more. He's pointing to the bigger. If this is true for a small thing, how much more true is it for a much more big, beautiful, more valuable thing? So here's what Jesus is saying. When we worry, we're disbelieving that we are valued, that we are loved, that we are seen, that we are cared for, that we bear his image the image of our creator. See, when we're anxious, or rather we are anxious because we forget our value. Thirdly, Jesus says, mammon makes us forget our father. We'll talk about this more in just a moment, but in this move, it's interesting to note that when he's using this illustration about the birds, that when he says, look at the birds of the heavens, he doesn't say, look at their heavenly father or the heavenly father. Look again at verse 26. Look at the birds of the air, neither do they sow nor do they reap in the barns or gather, and yet what? Your heavenly father. Your heavenly father feeds them. It seems to me the father loves birds. He, he thinks they're great. He made them. It seems to me he loves flowers and the grass of the field, but he is not their heavenly father. He has a completely different relationship with those who do not bear his image. See, even within, between the lines, if you will, he says, your heavenly father, in other words, not only communicating your value, but his identity. Here's who I am. Jesus is saying, here's who my father is. In other words, when we worry, we're forgetting we're part of a family. We're forgetting we're part of his family. We're family members whose needs were never meant to be met in isolation and independence. We have a Father in heaven. When we're anxious, Jesus says we forget that. So my sister, my brother, are you worried about money? Are you worried about your children's education and their future? Are you worried about food, about paying rent, about your home? Are you worried about your work, your reputation? 
Are you worried about your legacy? Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying in our preoccupation with such things. In other words, when this is the thing that begins to guide all of our thinking and our feelings and our life, we're forgetting what life's all about. We're forgetting who we are. And most importantly, we're forgetting who he is and that we belong to his family. Jesus summarizes this forgetfulness with a loving yet very corrected and pointed, O you of little faith. See, mammon makes us anxious because mammon makes us forget, because mammon conceives, or rather convinces us, to live life without faith. This is what anxiety is. It's life without faith. That's the reason for anxiety. That's why we're anxious. So what comfort does Jesus offer? What comfort is there in anxiety? Well, he transitions again with another therefore. Look at verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious. This is the second time he's saying this. Saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. See, mammon makes you anxious. It makes you forget. But Jesus reminds us that our heavenly Father already knows everything that we need. This is, in fact, the second time he's communicated this truth. I think this is incredibly comforting. See, whether you've got fresh wounds from unfulfilled promises of the city or you're in the middle right now of facing a very basic need of life, of death, of food, of nourishment, wherever, whatever you were in the middle of, Jesus points us to the one who sees you, who knows you, who loves you, our Heavenly Father. He is our comfort. This is something we see regularly through the scriptures, that it's never a thing that brings us comfort, it's always a person. It quotes God sharing with ancient Israel, the reality of our forgetfulness and the good news of God's comfort and the good news of the Father's comfort. When he says in Isaiah chapter 51, I, God says, I am he who comforts you. I am he who comforts you, is what he says. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies? Like the lilies of the field, right? Of the son of man who is made like grass and have forgotten the Lord your maker. Now, forgetfulness in the Old Testament in particular, but the Bible in general, is never about literally forgetting about it and not having it in your mind. It's not centering your life on it. There's a difference. So when God says he doesn't forget us, or rather he forgets our sin but doesn't forget us, meaning that he's not centering our sin, not that if you said, hey, I did this thing, he's like, I don't remember that, right? He knows what we've done. He knows what we've failed to do, but he does not center that in his preoccupation with us. What does he center? His image, right? So when he remembers us, he is remembering our sin no more. And what we see through Israel all the time is that this is not a new problem. Anxiety is not a modern ailment produced by the hustle of places like Chicago or technology or consumerism. Anxiety is a timeless issue of a forgetful heart. This is one of the great ailments of the human heart. We forget, we decenter what must be centered, and we center what should not be our preoccupation. See, in other words, I think what Jesus is getting our attention about, what the scriptures are all often trying to get our attention about, is our attention. It's our attention. You see, ultimately, anxiety is about looking at two things, and only two things. We look at ourself, and we look at our needs, right? And it's that gap that we perceive in between those, that's what causes us worry, doesn't it? Here's what I'm able to do. Here are the resources I have. Here are my problems. Here's what's around the corner. Or we invent stuff. Here's what might be around the corner, and I'm not up to that task right? We see the gap between what we are capable of doing and our desire that required our personal ability to satisfy our needs sufficiently. In other words, what? We're preoccupied with our capacity to meet our own needs. That's terrifying. 
That's terrifying. And Jesus responds to this issue. His response to this issue is fantastic. Notice, his comfort is not, well, stop looking at yourself so much, right? Look somewhere else. Serve someone else. Become a minimalist so you don't require as much. This is a great remedy of the modern world. If you love stuff too much, just get rid of it. Have a yard sale every weekend. Rather, what's Jesus' comfort for anxiety? What's his comfort for someone who only sees needs and self? What does he say to them? Someone else sees you. Someone else sees you. My sister, my brother, the father sees you. That's the comfort for your anxiety. If he sees the birds and what they need, if he sees the lilies of the field and he clothes them, you better believe that he sees you, his son and his daughter, his family. See, mammon teaches us to look at ourselves, and that always leads to anxiety. But the gospel teaches us that someone else is looking after us, and that leads to our comfort. That calms our souls. That brings us peace. That's really comforting. This is why I love Christianity. This is why I am a Christian. Every other spirituality or way of life addresses anxiety as something that we have to heal or fix on our own by reframing our focus, reframing our attention, reframing what we are perceiving or how we are perceiving the world. But the gospel brings us healing by pointing to someone who has given us their attention, who has given us, who sees us. To put it another way, every other religion or spirituality teaches us the remedy for mammon, for loving mammon and stuff too much, and anxiety comes from within. Christianity recognizes that our primary problem is actually inside. Therefore, the comfort must come from outside. Looking at ourselves differently is not comforting. It doesn't change anything. Looking at, at less or something else doesn't actually bring calm, perhaps momentarily, but not completely. In many ways, we're still looking at the same things. We're still looking at ourselves and our needs and seeing a huge gap in between. Knowing something, someone else, though, that someone who is outside of us, over us, greater than us, who takes care of birds and plants, and First Peter chapter 5 says, cares for you. Knowing that someone, that's really comforting. You know that friend who you don't have to explain stuff to, but is already with you? Who you don't have to catch up, you just pick up with, because they've been watchful over you, they know what's going on in your life? Right, this is what prayer is. Prayer is not catching up or make, catching God up on what's going. He's, he's come to him. We're actually being reminded of who he is. We're not making sure he knows what we need. Mammon makes us anxious. But our heavenly father, he is our comfort in the midst of anxiety. You are seen. You are loved. You are cared for. You are known. You are not forgotten. Now being comforted though, I'm sorry to say, <laughs> doesn't necessarily mean that the anxiety ends immediately, does it? That's a really helpful and powerful reminder, and yet we still wrestle. It means, though, what we're, not, we're not alone. We're loved. So what's the remedy for our anxiety? Or we might ask, what's the good life really made of? What's healing look like? Well, keeping in mind again that not all anxiety is the same, though mammon always causes anxiety. In fact, much of our anxiety will persist until we have new minds, new hearts, new bodies in the age to come. But what Jesus says in the meantime, in verse 33, is this. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, here's the third time, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus takes perhaps an unexpected turn. 
Yet his instruction to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness is in direct contrast with something he has said in verse 32, which is what? The Gentiles seek after such things. What, what things? Mammon. So Gentiles seek mammon first, and Jesus says his disciples are meant to seek God first. That's the remedy. The remedy for anxiety is to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Notice, it's then, what does Jesus say? All these things will be added to you. All of your needs will be met. Everything spoken, unspoken, known, and unknown, everything you need will be met when you seek the kingdom of God first. But here's the problem. None of us seeks the kingdom of God first. Even this week, right? Think about the way we chart out our weeks. I almost never put kingdom first. I just go, who do I need to talk to? What do I need to get done? What sermon am I preaching this week? I got to get after it, right? When I think about my kids, not how do I shape the gospel in them, how do I get them to be to like chill, first and foremost, be safe, right? None of us seeks God first. All of us seek mammon first. This is why we're all anxious. Now, society teaches us to adapt. Everyone is after their own interests, their own kingdoms. In fact, just bump all anxiety because that's religion, that's oppressive, that's tradition, right? You shouldn't feel anxiety, and the way to do that is to reject any sort of authority, authority around your life that tells you to do so. So come to Chicago, find the life you've been looking for, the life you want, bump all this religious and institutionally informed anxiety, right? Everything's fine. Religion, on the other hand, teaches us to just obey. When you obey, when you fall in line, God will bless you. When you do everything that you're supposed to do, God will keep up his end of the bargain, right? For this language before. Abstain from the world. Give ourselves to the church and mission, just like Jesus commanded, so we don't be anxious. Just do it. So come to our church, this church, because it's special. I didn't know if you guys knew that. Church in the square is special. Especially if you're visiting, that is a joke, a bad one at that, but it at least communicates the point. What? All of this is hollow. We live in this city, and we know it doesn't satisfy and fulfill. When we seek the city first, or our own kingdoms. We, we have, many of us have been tracking with Jesus for decades, and we know just obeying and just following the rules, sometimes that produces more frustration, right? Jesus has already said, expect persecution. Why? Because when you obey me, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. So it cannot be the city-centered view, and it cannot be the religious view. See, anxiety persists beyond this utopian society that our city promises. And anxiety persists within every single pew of every single church. But remember, Jesus' command is not simply a command. He repeats, do not be anxious three times, but he does so as the incarnate Son of God. He knows commands do not transform the heart. That's why he came to this world. Not to deliver a message, but to be the message. To be the word of God in the flesh. Are you with me? Words don't change hearts, but the word made flesh does. Why? Now, why could we say this? How could we say this? Why is the word alone unable to accomplish what the word made flesh can? Well, because before Jesus tells his disciples to seek first the kingdom, by his very presence, he has said that the kingdom has already sought you first. In order to seek the kingdom first, we have to understand that in his integrity, in his love, in his power, this is the remedy that before he says, seek the kingdom first, he shows up and says, the king has come after you. The king has been drawn to you. The king has been sent to you. That's the remedy. The father doesn't simply see us. The father sends his son after us. In our anxiety, the kingdom has come to us first. That's the remedy of our anxiety. 
the remedy for our preoccupation with this world is that at just the right moment, at just the right time, Jesus Christ, the king of this cosmic kingdom, came into this world, inaugurated a new one, a world, a kingdom where everyone will have exactly what they need. And everyone should have what they need. See, church, because the king sought us first, we are therefore empowered to seek first the kingdom. And it is not until we get that that seeking the kingdom first will just be more anxiety-inducing as every other religious worldview does. That means we need to learn to cultivate lives that put mammon in its proper place. And this is really critical because astute listeners will realize that I gave you three things that we forget and I promised four. There's perhaps been a question you've been pondering this entire message. Been wondering at some point about it, what about the poor? See, if the Father cares for us and sees us well, if he takes care of birds and plants, why are so many people without food? Why are so many people without what they need to drink, clean water and clothes? And an answer, it's mammon. You see, like the birds, the Father doesn't magically fill up our bank accounts and pantries with everything that we need. Instead, he fills his world with more than enough for anyone and everyone to have everything that they need so long as we love God and other people more than we love our stuff. See, John Stott doesn't stutter when he says the most basic cause of hunger is not an inadequate divine provision, but an inequitable human distribution. So you see, that's the fourth thing. Mammon makes us forget other people. Mammon makes us forget our value. Mammon makes us forget our worth. It makes us forget our father. It makes us forget other people. You see, and it's only when we realize that our Father sees us, we don't have to be so anxious in hoarding our little kingdoms here to make sure that we have what we need. When we know that he has sought us first, it's then and only then that we will see the needs of others and their need will not be a threat to ours. Their clothes will not be a threat to ours. Their food, their nourishment, their well-being will not be a zero-sum game where I have to starve in order for them to eat. We will see and believe that the Father will take care of his people when we seek the kingdom first because the kingdom sought us first. Church, do you need to confess that you are anxious today to name your love for mammon and your forgetfulness? Do you need comfort today to remember that your heavenly Father sees you, loves you, and takes care of you? Do you need healing today, church, to remember that Jesus seeks you first so you can seek him first? By grace, Jesus says to you and to me in the flesh, do not be anxious. I think it is when the church is not anxious that the kingdom starts showing up in some beautiful ways. So we simply say, Lord, may it be so. Father, we ask for your forgiveness. I ask for your forgiveness because of my fear and forgetfulness and lack of trust. I hoard and don't share. I worry about my kingdom, preoccupied with what me and mine need, but not my neighbor. Whether in the next apartment close by, the house close by, another neighborhood, a 
across the street, across the world, Father, forgive us. Mammon has made us forget, and you are a God who calls us to remember, to remember you. So help us to remember what our life is about. Help us to remember our value. Help us to remember our Father so that we might rightly remember others and so fulfill the law of Christ to seek first individually, but even as the bride, as your church, as a community. So we ask, Father, that as we confess our sin, that we would also walk in repentance and wholeness and healing so that um, everyone will have what they need. We ask this for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen.